0: knowledge and love do go together they're not separate knowledge is very important isn't it having a knowledge of truth having a knowledge of God's word and those of you who've been around here long enough you know that I emphasize that that's why we study the scriptures chapter by chapter and verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation so you have that knowledge of the truth of God's word what God's word declares but along with that knowledge comes love and sensitivity doesn't it
1: Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figgs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff.
0: 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we do read, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Verse 4. Therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, God the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, and will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so if we've learned going through 1 Corinthians that this letter that Paul was writing to the believers there in Corinth, that 1 Corinthians is known as a corrective letter. And Paul the Apostle writing to them as he's in the city of Ephesus on his third missionary journey. The church is only about five years old when Paul is writing this letter to them, but he was addressing some of the spiritual problems that were taking place in the church, and we saw that very clearly as we went through the first six chapters of this book, and we're going to continue to see Paul addressing some of those problems that were plaguing the church, but also we know that Paul would write this letter with the purpose of answering questions that they had. So when Chloe's household, mentioned in in chapter 1, that those of her household had come over to see Paul in Ephesus, they were carrying with them some questions that they had written down. And so chapter 7, we saw that as we began that chapter, it began by Paul writing, Now concerning the things that you wrote to me, and we'll see that as we have read in chapter 8, now concerning the things offered, now concerning the things that as he will change subjects throughout the rest of this epistle. So he's answering questions that they had, questions that you and I as believers have in the day in which we are living in. So chapter 7, Paul would deal with the questions that they had concerning marriage and divorce and singleness and all those things that we looked at very carefully and how we are to please god in whatever state that we find ourselves in what god has called us to presently and so is a very important chapter for all of us whether we are married or single or divorced or widowed or whatever our state may be as we looked at that over the last three weeks very carefully and so now as we move into uh, chapter eight Paul's going to be answering another question that they had. So he's changing subjects here, and he's answering the question concerning meat that had been offered to idols. Now, as we go through this and as we read, we know that this is not a question concerning diet, but it deals with our liberty in the Lord, our freedom that we have as Christians. And Paul is going to be addressing all of this Actually, in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And as we began reading here in chapter 8, Paul dealing with a very controversial question, issue, that is. Should Christians eat meat that have been offered to idols? Now, as you're here this morning, you may be thinking, well, what does that have to do with me today? That's a non-relevant issue for us today because we don't deal with that issue specifically. But I think that what we need to... To understand is this, that it's important for us to look at these chapters here, the next three chapters, because it does speak very specifically to a much broader issue, and that is the issue of Christian liberty, which is a very important issue in the church today, amongst Christians today, because we face certain issues that can become very confusing or controversial in the church today. Should I watch certain things? a Christian may ask. Uh, which, you know, movie should I watch, and should I watch them with other Christians? Can I listen to certain music? Uh, can Christians dance? Can they be involved in certain events? Can I have a glass of wine for dinner? And those questions arise very much today, and I get, even as a pastor, asked about those things, and I think that the next three chapters here, Paul's going to give us some very important principles and truths that help us as believers in making decisions on how it is that we behave, our conduct as Christians, not only in our personal lives, but also as we are amongst other Christians as well. So after dealing with this whole issue of marriage and singleness, Paul now addresses the next questions that they had, and that is eating meat that had been offered to idols. You see, to give you a little bit of background, what was taking place 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth was that in that city, which was a fairly large city uh, there in the Roman Empire, and we know that Corinth, uh, being that large city, even though it was a a large uh, city for ancient times, it didn't have supermarkets uh, back then like what we have today, today in Greeley. Uh, You have a number of supermarkets, King Super, Safeway, others that are spread throughout town. And if you want some meat, if you want to buy groceries, you simply go there and you buy them. It's very easy for us to do that. Well, it wasn't that way back in Corinth 2,000 years ago. So if a person wanted some meat, some burgers or some steaks or some ribs or whatever it might be, they would have to go out and either butcher an animal or have somebody butcher an animal for them or they could go to the marketplace that was located in the center of town, and usually that's the way it was in the cities throughout the Roman Empire. There would be a marketplace located in the middle of town. Matter of fact, if any of you do any traveling throughout the world, that's the way it is in much of the world today. You can go into villages, you can go into to cities. In, throughout the world, and, and particularly in Asia and throughout Af- Africa and South America, Central America. And in those villages, in those cities, in the middle of town, there is a marketplace where you can go and buy fruit and vegetables and, and things like that and meat and fish. And, and it was no different, um, you know, in Corinth at the time that Paul's writing this letter. So there was that marketplace that was located there in the, in the center of town. And if you went there to buy meat, usually it was very expensive. But there was another option there in the city of Corinth at this time. And that was that, keep in mind, as we've talked about, that Corinth was a city that there was a lot of idolatry that was taking place. And there was a lot of of the Greeks and and Roman gods that were worshipped in idol worship and that false worship so what there was in Corinth is there was these temples that were located all throughout the city. And that temple would dedicate, be dedicated to that God that they would worship. So at that temple there, um, there was the sacrifices that was given on the pagan altars to that false uh, God that they would worship. And so the worshiper would bring an animal to the priest that would be there serving at that pagan temple. And they would bring that animal to sacrifice. And as they sacrificed that animal, they would divide up the meat into three portions. One portion was burnt in honor of the God that they were worshiping. Another portion was given to the worshiper to take home to eat. And then a third portion was given to the priest. And with all these sacrifices and meat given to the priest, well, he couldn't eat all of it. And his family couldn't eat all of it. So he would give it to a meat market that would be located there at that pagan temple, kind of next to it. And they would sell that meat and they would sell it there close by the pagan temple. And so that meat that they sold there was generally cheaper. And so people back then, being much the same as what we are today, even Christians, people love the bargain. They love a sale. So there were even the Christians, some of them, that were going to that temple there, to the meat market that was located there, to buy their meat. And they had the knowledge. They knew that the idols could not contaminate meat So they would get a bargain in buying meat there at the temple. Then what they would do is they would go home and they would eat it. There was no problem for them. But also what they would do is they would invite a brother or sister over um, after church for a barbecue. Much like what we do today oftentimes is you go out to lunch or we have barbecues once in a while for different events here at church. And that Christian that was invited... If they found out that that meat bought was bought there at the temple and it had been offered to idols, many of them or some of them at least were being stumbled by that. They were being offended by that. And you see you got to keep in mind again that many of the Christians, the believers there in Corinth, they're new believers and they have been saved, many of them have been saved out of you know, this paganism, pagan worship and demon worship and idolatry and all kinds of perverted and demonic practices that went along with it. So they could not understand why a brother or sister in the Lord could go to that pagan temple to the and buy meat there at the meat market that had been offered to idols and then come home and eat it and, and also to serve it to another brother or sister. And it was becoming a problem there in the church of Corinth, and it was uh, causing hard feelings amongst the believers. It was causing division, and so they're writing, Paul, a question about this. So let's begin to look at this once again as we read in chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So in this section of 1 Corinthians that we deal with Christian liberty, he begins, Paul the Apostle, to lay out a truth, a principle that is very important for us to understand as Christians today. Listen, we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. And it is love that edifies, and the principle that Paul will lay out for us in these three chapters is simply this. When it comes to our Christian liberty, a decision in what we do, it's not just based on knowledge, but it's also based on love. And Paul is laying out this principle because in our liberty in eating or not eating meat before, that, before idols or had been offered to idols, it may offend another brother or sister when we do that. So, as we continue on, here's the knowledge, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idol, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we, uh, for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So Paul says, here's the knowledge. Idols are nothing. Because even though there are many idols that the Greeks and the Romans worship, they are nothing. They can do nothing. And that was the the point that was pressed, as we see very clearly in the Old Testament, concerning God's people. That the case was made over and over again, as they would fall into idol worship. As we go into the book of Judges, we're going to see that the children of Israel will ignore the warning that the Lord gave to them when they came into the promised land. Don't forsake me. Don't worship the Canaanite gods, those idols. And we're going to see as we go into the book of Judges that the children of Israel are going to turn to the gods, those idols, Astaroth and Baal, and begin to worship them. And they're going to go into this cycle. It's going to be a cycle for 350 years of worshiping those idols, then calling out to the Lord, and the Lord will raise up a judge to deliver them. And, um, and then uh, they have rest in the land for a little bit, and then they go right back into idol worship. And so that was their history for 350 years then they came to the time of the kings where they would repent of that and then Saul was king David was king Solomon was king and after the days of Solomon when the nation split they would fall back again into idol worship so you see that Isaiah ministering during that time Isaiah chapter 40 verse 18 we see to whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him So the prophet there, as God is speaking through Isaiah, Isaiah writing to the house of Israel in the beginning of his ministry, and then they would be taken off into captivity. But he's making the case that why are you worshiping those idols, the foolishness of it, how futile that it is. That those idols can do nothing. They are nothing. They cannot help you. They cannot deliver you from the bondage that you are in. They cannot deliver you from the enemy that threatens you and comes against you. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have no understanding. They are nothing. And so the Lord was saying to them, remember me. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you through the wilderness. And I'm the one that brought you into this land to bless you. Turn back to me. Give up those things which are false. So that's what we see over and over again in the Old Testament. And Paul here, he's saying, listen, those idols are nothing. It is only one true God, our God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this knowledge, and with that knowledge, you may say, hey, I can go to that meat market there at the pagan idol. I can buy that meat on a, you know, uh, with a sale or a bargain price and bring it home and eat it. It's no big deal to me. And you may think it's no big deal for me to serve that meat to another brother or sister. So you have that knowledge of the idol is nothing, but Paul continues on with this principle in verse 7 The transition here. He says, However, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So, we know from verse 10 again, not only were they bringing that meat home and serving it to a brother and sister, but some of them, apparently, those meat markets had a place kind of like a little restaurant where you can go in and get a hamburger or something, or get some ribs or something like that. And so, he's talking about, you know, what about that person who sees you that is eating there? But. Here is the thing, the brother or sister that knows that the idol is nothing may feel completely free to eat that meat offered to an idol. The idols are nothing, that's the knowledge. They can't contaminate meat, you may think it's no big deal, but, Paul writes in verse 7, however, there are some that their conscience says that this is wrong. They say that I can't consciously eat this meat that has been offered to a pagan idol. To me it's sin, they say. Their conscience being weak is defiled if if you do that. Verse 12, you wound their weak conscience. Verse 13, you make your brother or sister stumble. And we don't want to do that, do we as Christians? It won't be the loving thing to do. So Paul now talking about out of love and sensitivity to the weaker brother or sister, Paul concludes the chapter by saying, I will not eat meat if it makes my brother stumble. Now here's what we need to understand. Then that is that we as believers, as believers, we have the freedom, the liberty that we have in Christ. But here's the thing that, that we as believers have to include the freedom to not stumble or hurt the weaker brother or sister. There are certain things that we will not do here at Calvary Chapel because it will stumble other people. We can feel like we're free to do that. We have the liberty to do that, but we won't do that. Most people say no problem at all, no big deal at all. But out of sensitivity and love to Christians, we don't want to be involved with that, or my family, or perhaps you know, whatever it might be, we want to be careful in this area of Christian liberty. So Paul's stressing here, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So love for the well-being of believers plays a priority in decisions that we make. It's love that edifies. Because of my love for that brother and sister, I'm not going to eat that meat that's been offered to idols. Now, I do want to say something that's very important, that knowledge and love do go together. They're not separate. Knowledge is very important, isn't it? Having a knowledge of truth, having a knowledge of God's Word. And those of you who've been around here long enough, you know that I emphasize that. That's why we study the Scriptures chapter by chapter and verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation. So you have that knowledge of the truth of God's Word, what God's Word declares. But along with that knowledge comes love and sensitivity, doesn't it? So knowledge is a, is a powerful thing. It gives us God's wisdom. It gives us direction. It's important to have that knowledge, but along with that, that love as well. Now, in, as we talked about with the Corinthians, they were ones that were really puffed up about knowledge, weren't they? They were really into man's wisdom and knowledge and philosophy and all this stuff, but they were lacking love. So they needed to have knowledge, that is, truth of God's word, along with love and that love which was going to guide them in the knowledge that they have. And that's the same with you and with me. Because you can have just knowledge and no love, and it can be pretty brutal at times. You can have love with no knowledge, and it's hypocrisy oftentimes, or it's flaky. You're not moving in truth. And the church can get you know, itself into the trouble when it says, well, we're just going to love the people. We're just going to love people and let them live the way they want, and and we're not going to stand for truth. They go together, knowledge and truth. So you have knowledge, which is powerful, but it's guided, and controlled by the love that we have for one another. And so what we see here is Paul laying out this principle here. And now as Paul continues in this thought, as he's answering their question about Christian liberty, we're going to move into chapter 9 here, and he's going to give an example of his own personal life. Because as Paul was traveling as an apostle, he had rights as an apostle that he didn't demand those rights be given to him. He didn't make those demands upon the Corinthian Christians because he didn't want to cause offense to anyone. So now he talks about being an apostle and his rights as an apostle. He's going to show us from his own personal experience, how he puts into practice this principle that he just sought to teach us here in chapter 8. So chapter 9 we read as he writes, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are to seal my apostleship in the Lord. So he writes, Am I not an apostle? Now to us it's obvious, isn't it? We look back and we say, yeah, Paul was an apostle, the great apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, look at his missionary journeys, the churches he established. uh, Look at the, the canon of Scripture in the New Testament. Many of them, the books that we have, the epistles that we have, were penned by Paul the apostle. Certainly he was an apostle, no doubt about it. But it wasn't that way in his day. There were some Christians and there were others that would question his apostolic authority. There were false apostles and prophets that were on the scene that would come in and actually plague the church of Corinth. You see that very clearly in Second Corinthians. And they would say, Paul's not a real apostle. He, he, he isn't really one. You need to look to us. And they would come and undermine Paul's ministry. And so they were questioning some Paul's authority as an apostle. And if Paul was suspect as an apostle, then his teaching would become suspect. So Paul begins to give his his, his true status As an apostle, he says, am I not free? That is, Paul was under the authority of Jesus Christ. He says, I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ, which was one of the requirements of apostleship in the early church. And then he says, are you not my work in the Lord? The work that Paul had established in Corinth and amongst the believers, there was evidence enough of Paul's apostolic credentials. The Corinthian believers had more reason than most to know that Paul was a genuine apostle because they've seen his work up close.
1: Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Pictures.